0: Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point.
1: A legal milestone in China's foreign relations The Law on Foreign Relations of the People's Republic of China came into effect on July the 1st after being approved by the country's top legislature. The law, containing 45 articles and six chapters in total, is the first fundamental and comprehensive law governing the conduct of foreign relations in China's history. It sets out the general principles, different functions and powers of party and state bodies, goals and mission, and the system of uh, foreign relations for China. While stipulating the goal of promoting world peace and development, the law also grants China the right to take counter or restrictive measures against acts that endanger China's sovereignty, national security and development rights. So what exactly is the context and the content of this new law? What changes will it make in China's foreign affairs? And how may it affect other countries, especially major Western countries that have increasingly antagonized China. Welcome to this special edition of The Point with me, Xin coming to you live from Beijing. I'm pleased to be joined from Beijing by Professor Huo Zhengxin with the China University of Political Science and Law, from Shanghai by He Weiwen, Senior Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization Think Tank, from Ljubljana, Slovenia by Alexander Svetlitsky, Mccini, Associate Professor and Program Coordinator of Master of Law in International Business Law at the University of Macau, and from New Jersey, the United States, by James Nault, Adjunct Professor at New York University. Gentlemen, the warmest welcome to the point. Um, first of all, let me go to Professor Huo to uh, clarify some of the context and uh, circumstances for enacting this law this is the first as i said fundamental and comprehensive law governing uh, the conduct of foreign relations for china more than 70 years after the founding of the country what are the contexts for the enactment of this law professor huo
2: i think we can uh, evaluate this law from two different contexts the first is the domestic context As you know, in recent years, China has become the second largest economy, and China is is approaching its goal to build a modern socialist, modern prosperous socialist country. Therefore, Chinese government are strengthening its legislation to build a law on the rule of law. So I think that domestically, these legislation is an effort made by the Chinese government to build a socialist country under the rule of law. Internationally, you know, now the world is witnessing a fundamental change on seeing a century. In particular, since recent years, the United States has defined China as its most consequential geopolitical challenge. So we find that the U.S. government imposed more and more sanctions on the Chinese Entities and Chinese citizens by its domestic law. Therefore, China needs such a law to guarantee its uh, security and sovereignty and development interest. Mm-hmm. So I think that is the context okay. how we this law.
1: Right. Well, uh, let me stay with you, Professor Huo. Uh, There are some other very important uh, clauses in this law. For instance, Article 5 says the conduct of uh, foreign relations by the People's Republic of China is under the centralized and overall leadership of the Communist Party of China. Uh, Why do we need to codify it in the law now? And what would happen if the foreign relations would not be under the leadership of the CPC?
2: Well this article is a manifestation or embodiment of the Chinese constitutional law. As you know that the uh, constitutional law of China provides that the socialism is the fundamental system of the PRC and the defining feature of socialism with Chinese characteristics is the leadership of the Communist Party of China. So this article is, um, is a reflection of this article in the Chinese constitutional law to ensure that the Chinese foreign policy to be consistent and coherent and uniform. Otherwise, you know, the country like China cannot a safeguard that all the foreign policies are consistent. If you look at the United States or other countries where adopt the separation of powers, you will find that sometimes its legislative branch and administrative branch, they have a contradicted foreign policies. So I, I think these reflects the merits of the Chinese system.
1: All right. We also have one more very important uh, clause explaining the functions and powers of different organs. For instance, uh, uh, we have the central leading body for foreign affairs, quote-unquote. We have the National People's Congress, which is the uh, lawmaking body, of course. And uh, we have the State Council, which is the central functional government of the system. And then we have the Central Military Commission and also the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Professor Hua help us understand a little bit who does what in conducting foreign relations
2: all these articles comes from the chinese constitutional law and the articles in the china's first foreign relations law makes more clear about the allocations of functions and powers of these different governmental agencies when they conduct foreign policies. So according to these articles, the National People's Congress, the State Council, the Central Military Commission, they all have their respective functions and powers to deal with foreign relations.
1: Let me go to um, Mr. He for some um, foreign relations related question, not so much on the legal front. I mean, this is also the first law to regulate the relationship between international treaties, uh, international agreements, as well as China's constitution. How will it be connected now?
3: Uh, first of all, the China's foreign relations uh, law is under the China's the constitution of the People's Republic of China. And the purposes for China's foreign relations should serve the three principles. First, to defend China's sovereignty and in- territorial integrity. Second, to safeguard China's national security. Third, to support and help promote China's economic and social development. Under these guidances, China joined international treaties and agreements. And in this particular area, China should support UN Charter and UN centered multilateralism. So when China signs agreements, international agreements are treaties, we must follow these principles. And once China have, has signed these agreements, international treaties, we must abide by them without any hesitation.
1: It seems like um, non question, but I mean, shouldn't it always be the case that you know, if you are not going to follow it, you shouldn't sign up to it in the first place? But why the importance of codify it in this particular law, Mr. He?
3: In the past, people used to say that the foreign relations is a job of foreign ministry, and that's not correct. And because of foreign relations, China's relations with the world, they should be guided and they should be led by the Chinese Communist Party, that's stipulated in the Constitution. Under this umbrella, we should do all fronts foreign relations because that is uh, so important for China. China is not isolated in the world, it's a part of the world society. And also, China supports world development and peace. So, it's important. We must have the law to regulate and help support China's foreign relations mm-hmm. activities in all various fields. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, let me go to Professor Svetli Um We have uh, seen stipulated in the new law the general principles guiding the conduct of China's foreign relations. Uh, It says that uh, the law is to uh, safeguard China's uh, sovereignty, national security and development interests. It is uh, there to protect and promote the interests of the Chinese people, build China into a great modernized socialist country and to realize the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation, promote world peace. And development, and build a community with a shared future for mankind. Um, Professor, how do you see these goals set out in the law? Are there um, any difference between these goals between other countries' foreign relations uh, uh, aspirations? Mm, yes, and so.
4: Uh, You have mentioned a variety uh, of goals embedded in this uh, foreign relations law, Uh, and, of course, um, it would be um, uh, important to see uh, how the achievement of all of these goals would be uh, basically uh, combined or balanced uh, in practice. For instance, talking about measures that the state can take in order to protect its sovereignty, uh, national security and development interests, uh, this is uh, naturally uh, an inherent right of the state, um, but for example, these measures would have to be uh, then balanced with um, uh, international obligations or international commitments that, they, that this state has uh, taken, right? Uh, so for example, just to give um, one example uh, in relation to the measures uh, protecting national security, these have to be balanced, for example, with uh, obligations related to uh, trade and uh, investments that the state has um, uh, undertaken through different international agreements and normally these agreements will embed the clause about the essential security interests which would allow the state to uh, act accordingly right Um, but of course there would be a certain uh, uh, review of these measures Uh, so far we have seen the examples of this um, uh, review in the world trade organizations And we can see from these cases, the common expectations uh, of the countries, of the nations, that uh, these security interests have to be genuine, right? So they have to be um, acted upon by the states, um, trying at the same time to follow their uh, trade commitments, right? So... All of these um, goals, all these objectives that you've mentioned uh, are very important. But once again, it will be uh, important also to see how they will be balanced uh, together in practice. Mm.
1: Well, China also um, stressed uh, the high level, the importance of a high level opening up. For instance, the law says China develops foreign trade, actively promotes and protects in accordance with the law, inbound foreign investment, encourages external economic cooperation, Including outbound investment and promotes high-quality development of the Belt and Road Initiative. It is committed to upholding the multilateral trading system, opposes unilateralism and protectionism and works to build an open global economy. Professor Nault, I wonder what is your comment upon reading the articles in this law? Um, what strikes you as being At least an interest in seeking balance in achieving china's own interests and achieving the overall interests of mankind
0: i find that these this law is an important clarification and codification of existing chinese practices i don't see any great departure from what's been going on so far with the for decades in chinese foreign policy there's no surprises here but it is useful to have a comprehensive statement in a single law of the institutions, the lines of authority, and the broad principles guiding foreign policy. As we often say in English though, the devil is in the details because the various principles enunciated, which indeed are common to many states if not all, also have uh, inherent contradictions among them. So for example, economic development may be aided by maximum division of labor and trade throughout the world. However, trade can also make a country vulnerable. So perfect national security, you might want to minimize any kind of dependence on foreign trade, and yet it's foreign trade that's brought great prosperity to China, now becoming the world's largest trading nation. So to some extent, there's a trade-off between the economic prosperity, for example, that trade brings and the vulnerability that trading relations introduce because now part of your economy is dependent on relations with countries whose systems and governments you don't control. So naturally, if they take actions that are adverse to Chinese development interests, there is a a difficulty that may impact development or national security. So economic development is a positive thing and it is Aided by trade and investment, but those trade and investment relations can also introduce national security problems. So it's always going to be a difficult balancing act.
1: Professor Huo, what is your reaction to such concern, and do you see the um, emphasis or? the kind of effort China is taking to balance these very important interests, on the one hand economic and trade interests, on the other hand national security interests, but also respecting domestic laws and international law and norms that are widely recognized and also international treaties and agreements China has signed up to. How committed is China to respecting all of these different rules and regulations?
2: As you mentioned just now, this is a comprehensive uh, uh, law in foreign related areas and in this law China tries to uh, manifest its uh, intention to the outside world that it tries to balance all these goals. On the one hand, China upholds the international uh, system with the UN at its core and international order on the pin by international law. Therefore, China in this law manifests that it opposed unilateralism. On the other hand, China also says that it will strengthen its high-level development economy and will conduct open-door policy and more deepening its reform. And in the end, China in this law manifests its intention that China will safeguard its uh, security and uh, sovereignty and develop interest by rule of law. So generally speaking, I think that this is the law that China tried to um, send a very uh, clear signal to the outside world that China tries to uphold the international law and also safeguard its uh, national interest by rule of law.
1: In terms of that, let's take a look at some specific articles. For instance, Article 32 uh, it says that China shall strengthen the implementation and application of its laws and regulations in foreign-related fields in conformity with the fundamental principles of international law and fundamental norms governing international relations. It also says China will take law enforcement, judicial and other measures to safeguard the lawful rights of Chinese citizens and organizations mr Hu, what does this clause mean and what are some of the possible uh, scenarios that this article can be applied
3: uh, i think this article is very important and uh, closely related to all almost all the entities and the individuals engaged in foreign relations and the foreign relations of foreign investment foreign trades and the people to people exchange activities we know that the developed countries, almost all of those developed countries have very sophisticated legal system to protect the interests of their families, citizens, and the businesses. So China's foreign relations law is doing just the same. We should upgrade our protection to the interests of our business and the people uh, in different in areas, especially in trade-related investment or national security-related matters. So we should firmly protect our interests. On the other hand, we should not blindly protect. We should strictly follow the law, do what the law has allowed and what is uh, compatible to international practices.
1: Uh, Mr. Uh, Chini, how do you understand this clause and also in relation to an anti-foreign sanctions law that was enacted uh, in 2021, what's the difference and connections between the two laws?
4: Yes. So so as you have rightly mentioned, the foreign relation law um, basically refers us to the possibility of adopting certain uh, reactive or countermeasures to protect, uh, for example, national security interests. Uh, now, uh, it, should be, it should be stated that this uh, reference to counter sanctions uh, uh, mm, does not really introduce anything new uh, because um, China already from uh, 2021 uh, had an um, uh, anti-foreign sanctions law. One of the features of this law is basically its reactive nature, so its reaction towards the action of um, uh, others uh, and also um, the opposition towards uh, so- so-called uh, long-arm uh, jurisdiction. Basically, uh, the national law uh, should be applied when there is a certain connection to this country. So, for instance, uh, China would apply this law in relation to activities happening in China, uh, including to foreign persons and entities, but those who do some kind of business activities in China. So already from 2020 and 2021, uh, there are some uh, rules, for example, uh, countering uh, the sanctions uh, of other countries, Uh, opposing this extraterritorial application of uh, sanctions uh, and also certain provisions that are applied to uh, foreign uh, entities, for example, that are doing uh, business in China, but for different, uh, for example, political reasons, uh, they uh, discriminate or uh, interrupt normal uh, business relations with the Chinese companies. So all of these uh, rules that have been already adopted, they uh, provide a mechanism for adopting the counter-sanctions. And basically this law on the foreign relations um, uh, provides a certain kind of um, a basis, a ground for it. Uh, because uh, if we would look at uh, China's uh, national security law that has been adopted some years ago, uh, it did not have a mechanism for imposing uh, counter-sanctions. So in this sense, the foreign relations law as uh, so to say, uh, closes uh, this gap and provides a legal basis for these Mm. mechanisms, which already exists. Mm. Um, China has so far been quite uh, cautious in um, uh, using uh, these mechanisms, and we can see only uh, very uh, few rare examples when these mechanisms have actually been used in practice.
1: Um, you have mentioned that China have been China has been cautious in using these tools. What do you think are the reasons? And also with the enactment of the new law on foreign relations, do you think foreign investments or foreign businesses trying to operate here in China have concerns to deal with?
4: Well, um, uh, my understanding, the reasons uh, for this uh, cautious approach uh, was um, uh, not so much um, lacking the rules or lacking the legal basis, um, but rather the um, economic reasons, uh, because uh, always when uh, such restrictive measures uh, are imposed, uh, they can trigger um, a response on the other side. Uh, so in this way, China has been quite cautious, even uh, reacting on certain uh, measures taken by um, by other countries. Mm. And uh, this also basically addresses the second part of your question, what kind of effect is going to have on foreign business or foreign investments in China. As we discussed, um, having the rules doesn't necessarily mean that they will be uh, always applied in practice or actively or assertively. Uh, in applied in practice Um, there are also different economic basically rationale by not using them uh, assertively uh, and um, taking account of some other steps that China did um, as we mentioned, um, unilateral opening up to foreign investment, uh, also signing uh, trade and investment uh, agreements with other countries, we can see the uh, commitments for keeping this uh, opening up. Mm. So all of these measures that we mentioned today, they will be basically um, sort of providing a balance on the security part, allowing to take a security-related measures when it is uh, absolutely necessary. Uh, that is my yeah. understanding.
1: Professor Nolt, I wonder what is your reaction to uh, Mr. Svitlicini's uh, answer. Uh, it's very interesting because Article 33, which is also closely watched by the international media, stipulates that uh, China has the right to take, as called for, measures to counter or take restrictive measures against acts that endanger its sovereignty, national security and development interests in violation of international law or fundamental norms governing International relations. Uh, what do you read from the wording of the sentence? Um, I'm seeing, for instance, here it says China has the right. It doesn't say that China shall. Do you think there is a certain reservation there, or that the intention is to send out a certain deterrence rather than a strong declaration of intent to act?
0: Yes, I, I would agree with the professor's comments. He has outlined very well the fact that in many cases. China's measures, for example, during the Trump's trade sanctions against China, starting in 2018, China did impose counter sanctions, but they tended to be less severe than the original sanctions that the United States had imposed. So I think the fact that you have the right under international law in some instances, or in domestic law, to respond doesn't necessarily mean that there are not reasons for restraint, because any action itself has consequences. And so a government has to carefully measure, is the counter-sanction or the, the action by the government going to be uh, so provocative that other states may react even more strongly and therefore jeopardize China's relations worse or create a downward spiral of tit-for-tat. So far, we haven't seen that kind of aggressive sanctioning and counter-sanctioning. It's been relatively small scale, except for the trade war that began with Trump in 2018 mm. uh, but I think the potential is there and it's largely as I say the details of implementation that matter the most because the fact that the powers are there doesn't necessarily mean they need to be ex- mm. uh, exercised or would be exercised okay. uh, China may indeed uh, implement this in a cautious way and I think to some extent the foreign press is overreacting uh, to this law, because it it seems to me that it restates things that have already been common practice, uh, but it does ma- clarify them.
1: Okay, um, Professor Huo, very briefly, is China going to roll out more laws for the conduct of its foreign relations?
2: Well, I think this is yes. I think China is now strengthening its legislation in foreign related areas uh, in this uh, world, which is. You know, witnessing a momentous change on scene in the century. So I, th- I, I believe that in the future, China would uh, legislate more law in foreign-related areas, such as the law on protection of Chinese interest overseas mm. and the laws on the uh, uh, foreign, uh, let's say, foreign assistance and so on. That is also, uh, you know, conformed with the Chinese goal to build a, uh, a socialist country under rule of law.
1: Mm. All right. Well, the English text of this law can be found online via the portal of the official news agency Xinhua. Many thanks to my guest, Professor Hua Xing with the China University of Political Science and Law, He Wen, Senior Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization, Alexander Svetlincini, Associate Professor and Program Coordinator from the University of Macau, joining us uh, early hours of the day from Europe, and uh, James Nault uh, joining us at uh, late evening from New York. University. Thank you very much. With that, we come to the end of this edition of The Point with me, Li Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Li in Beijing. Until this world with a universal greeting. <laughs> <laughs> we then learn to speak.
3: <laughs>
1: Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world.
0: Donated an additional German Railway Company, Deutsch the, the 26th monetary United Fund, Nations
1: Hear the difference, join our global network to connect with the world.